Uh, so hello there and welcome to another episode of Tip Top Tips Edgy with me, Mark Anderson, ICT evangelist. Um, thank you so much to all of you who've been watching the episodes and subscribing. Uh, if you're watching, uh, then please do, if you're not uh, already doing so, please hit the subscribe button on YouTube. And if you're listening back uh, on uh, your favorite podcasting tool, then please do subscribe on there as well. Uh, I'm here represented today. Um, uh, net support uh, as part of my work as head of education here. I am so excited to welcome my guest onto the show uh, today. She is someone who I massively rate professionally. Her approaches and thinking around teaching and learning and all things technology uh, are, are hugely in alignment with me. Not that uh, she and I live in an echo chamber, um, but it's been a real privilege to um, know and to have worked alongside a few times uh, this person over the last uh, sort of uh, five, ten years or so. Uh, so it gives me great pleasure to introduce uh, to the show today uh, the one and only Class Tech Tips that is Monica Burns. Welcome, Monica. Thank you so much for having me today. And I'm so excited to have you. I mean, I, I was thinking back about where we've worked together, many places, Berlin, Amsterdam. And of course, I've been, I've been following your, your work and the things you share um, for, for a long, long, long time. And, and one of the things I really rate about the work that you do is it is purposeful uses of technology. It's not just using tech for tech's sake. Uh, and we see that a lot with the work you share on the blog and on your website and in, in the books that you've written as well. So I'm really excited to have you uh, on, on the show today. But for those who don't know you, Monica, could you just uh, take a moment to uh, talk about um, who you are, where you've come from, how you've got to be, where you are with the work you do today. Absolutely. And thank you so much, Mark, for the invitation to come on and, and chat with you today. I know we've been able to connect as fellow Apple Distinguished Educators and special events, especially some of the ones, you know, I'm based here on the East Coast in the States, but some of the events I've been able to do overseas just been been so much fun. And so I am a former New York City public school teacher. So I taught in a classroom with an overhead projector and chalk and a chalkboard and all of those fun things before we transitioned into a magnet school and we're able to go one-to-one -one with technology. So going one-to-one -one with iPads about 10 years ago now as we're talking um, kind of within that, that past decade and that's where my work really began thinking about technology integration, building upon the traditional best practices and looking at ways we could really make the most with these digital tools that we had at our fingertips um, at that time. And so I've been out of the classroom for several years now running professional development. So virtually uh, hosting webinars for organizations and schools and districts and then on-site uh, professional development as well as writing. So on my blog, classtechtips.com and my books with ASCD and my podcast, the Easy Ed Tech Podcast, which just reached 100 episodes a couple weeks ago. Wow, I can't believe it's been so long. My goodness, wow. time just flies by so quickly, doesn't mm -hmm. it? Well, thanks for that little summary of, of uh, your sort of history and, and what sort of led you to, to where you are now. Um, you're quite, um, you've got a few followers on social media. And so um, I thought, um, I found a photo of the two of us uh, from, I think mm -hmm. it was from um, from the work we did at uh, in, in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. um, I shared a photo of us this morning and said, I'm really excited to have Monica on for a chat tonight. Does anybody have any questions uh, uh, or top, tip, top tips uh, that um, you'd like Monica to share? And we've had quite a few responses. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm really excited to bring these through. Uh, we've had responses from people from the UK, from the Middle East, from, from you know all over. 
Uh, so I'm really excited to ask these for you. And uh, just to be clear, Monica has had sight of these before. I <laughs> there, so, and she's not coming in completely blind, uh, but you haven't had much time to prepare, to be fair. Uh, so I'm really excited uh, to hear your responses. The first question for you, Monica, uh, relates to EAL and SEND learners. Now, uh, for those who are in the US and don't know what those uh, terms stand for, um, EAL is students where English is an additional language. It's, it's not their first language. Uh, and SEND refers to those children who have additional learning needs. Uh, it could be that they're dyslexic or they're dyspraxic or any number of different potential things there. Uh, but uh, this is from Kat Couchy. And so I'm keen to hear your insights and tips on how we can use technology to support these types of learners, please, Monica. Yes, so when looking at these groups of learners, and of course there's benefits for, for many different students when it comes to the, the tip I'll, I'll share here, but especially with these groups, I'm always looking for resources that give kids an opportunity to record their voice, record video, and talk about their learning. So I taught in a classroom where you know I worked with students who in many ways were conversationally proficient in English, which was my primary language of instruction. But when it came to writing about something that they were going to do, right, that became a bit of a barrier, right? They could tell me all the things about the differences between different triangles. Um, but when it came to writing the paragraph to explain, you know, why an isosceles and a scalene triangle were different, became a really big barrier for them to share their learning or, or show mm -hmm. what they know. So I love screencasting tools where kids can draw and sketch and record their voice at the same time. I like tools where kids can and jump on video um, and pause if they need a moment to think and then hit record again and keep their thinking going. So some of my favorite tools within this category are Flipgrid. So Flipgrid, of course, has lots of extra accessibility features like Immersive Reader and, and like you know other components. But I love that as a tool because it gives kids the option to draw, to get on camera, to hold up the construction paper that's mm. on their desk next to them, to cover their face if they don't feel comfortable being on video. And it's a great way to get kids an opportunity to build confidence, to talk about what it is that they've learned. And it doesn't have to be a substitute for writing that paragraph, right? But it can help them on the pathway to getting there by making sure that their energy and enthusiasm feels good, that they understand that how they share um, can look different in different contexts and just building that confidence and capacity for the next pieces. So that's one of my favorite resources to share because it has so many components built in. And I've also just last week was working with a group of, of educators um, in Kentucky, and we were talking about some different resources within Flipgrid specifically and looking at the discovery library and some of the resources that are pre-made and ready to go, but also give you the option to customize. So that's one that's been front of mind, um, especially for this population of students. Yeah, and it's the same as with educators, isn't it? You know, having the capacity and developing their confidence in using these things as well. It really gives them a chance to sort of show what they know. And I, mm -hmm. I find the same sort of thing myself, particularly sort of getting boys um, you know, in, in terms of their writing. Ask them to describe, you know, a recent football match or a goal that was scored. You know, their oracy would be absolutely fantastic. Getting to write it down 
you know, so, so much more difficult. So there's uh, some fantastic ideas there. And uh, like you, I'm a big fan of Flipgrid too. There are so many options in there, aren't there, to help learners uh, in so many ways, shapes and forms. Thank you so much for that, Monica. Uh, I've got another question now. This one uh, comes uh, from Linda Parsons, who works at Dara International School in um, Dubai. Uh, she says, have you got any um, top tips, uh, tip top tips, Edu, on slick starter activities that teachers can give to students that take the cognitive load off the teachers at the start of the lesson and promote collaboration or online oracy. Have you got any thoughts on that at all? So one of my favorite starter activities or a do now activity, getting kids either working independently and then sharing at the end or working collaboratively is using um, tools that allow students to have an open space, create things, move things around, organize ideas. And I've been a really big fan of Jamboard uh, this year, especially um, mm. because of the way it gives kids an opportunity to jump right in and have some control of a space. So although I'm out of the classroom, this year, I have worked with a few different students um, in kind of smaller engagements, and that's been something that's really helped bridge the physical gap and getting them into a space that I have either set up for them like a template and then mm -hmm. ask them to jump in on their own. So what I like about that tool is you can do a forced copy just like you can in other Google tools. So if you make a great template, like a sorting activity, you can give a forced copy to everyone and kids can do it and then share or talk about it. Or you might have a small group like five students inside of one shared Jamboard they can move things around. And it's a great way to just get kids started, settled, orient them within a digital space so that they've got their tabs up and going. Mm -hmm. And so that's one that's definitely been a favorite to use. Um, I um, also like, you know, pairing something like that with an activity like a this or that activity or a prompt. Khan Academy, we usually think of as being tutorials, right, or online videos, but they also have something called Khan Academy Refresh. And that has a bunch of brain break style activities that you could definitely bring in for a, a starter a starter activity with a group. I like those ones and I like Jamboard, right? Because they're both flexible enough that it's not telling you the only way to do something or this is just for um, students in grade eight or in grade two, right? You can really make some decisions that are going to be just right for your group. That's a brilliant response. I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of Jamboard as well. It's really sort of, sort of hit the scene, as it were, uh, by storm, hasn't it? It's been fantastic. Mm -hmm. And so many schools have made great use of it during the last sort of 12 months in particular. I'm just thinking, Monica, though, what about schools that are sort of Microsoft 365 based, um, with, with Jamboard being a Google tool? Can you suggest anything that might be appropriate for uh, a Microsoft school? Absolutely. So one um, resource that's come up a lot, so I know you and I, um, before hitting record, Clubhouse came up right in the conversation. And so Clubhouse has been a really fun space to connect with educators. And I run a Monday room and a Thursday room. And the Thursday room is all around, you know, top, you know, your tip from the week kind of, right? Kind of alongside your top tips here, right? So people come on and share something that's been exciting for them that week. And one of the resources that I've heard a lot of, I did a blog post in partnership with them last year, is whiteboard chat. And that's one that I think people are really gravitating to for some of the same reasons that Jamboard is appealing. It gives mm. the flexibility, the collaboration, and that should be, I haven't used it in an Office 365 environment specifically, but that should be friendly uh, for that environment. 
Brilliant. Thank you for offering that alternative there, Monica. That's really good. Thank you so much. Uh, next question uh, comes uh, from uh, Sabe, who's also in the uh, Middle East as well. And this is something that's really difficult to sort of get right, isn't it? I think the statistics say something like 70% of most change management processes fail. So um, if you're looking to uh, do this sort of thing in your school, it's really important to sort of get those conditions right. So his question is, uh, what are your tip top tips edgy for getting staff buy-in to upskill and innovate slash change the way things have traditionally been done in the classroom? What are your thoughts on that, Monica? So I do a lot of work with classroom teachers and instructional coaches, whether virtually now or visiting different schools. And so this is something that is front of mind for me in my conversations right, with educators. Um, it's, you know, everyone is always very friendly and pleasant in my interactions with them. But if I know that they might have a barrier or they may not quite see, you know, why something is important or worth their time, I think it's really important to step back and make sure that you are identifying a pain point and making things very relevant to the situation. And this is a coaching strategy all the time, right? But with um, technology, especially if you can show that first step, right? Just get that foot in the door with someone and show them how this particular tool or resource or strategy, whatever it is, right, is going to save them time, is going to help with their workflow, is going to do something that they've always wanted to do in a better way or finally making something possible, you know, or rooting something in a very specific experience that they have with their students. And, you know, this goes along with a conversation I often have um, that, is not part of this question, but sometimes the adjacent part, which is getting buy-in from veteran teachers for technology, mm -hmm. right? And so I hear from people typically outside of our sphere, right, Mark, but um, I hear from people, oh, isn't it, you know, don't all the older teachers hate all this technology and aren't they, you know, and, and you hear this from people and I'm like, you have not sat down with a veteran teacher because, you know, they are the ones that have the experience and the context. So when you introduce a virtual reality tool, you know, that allows them or get into Google arts and culture and look at coral reefs together or whatever it might be, you know, they're the ones that have taught ecosystems for 10, 15, 30 years and realize that this tool is going to help their students understand an ecosystem or a biome or wherever in a new way. It's mm. often the new teachers who don't have the context, who see something that is really exciting and then can start thinking through, but they don't have that foundation to build off of. So when it comes to getting buy-in for any kind of change, I think really rooting it in what is that foundation we're building off of? What are the assets in this situation? What has this person shown that they're really interested in? And we can dial it up with that technology component. Or am I being a good enough listener to understand what their pain points are? So I can offer whatever the thing is in a context that's a solution to a problem. I think that's absolutely key what you said there about sort of really listening to them and taking on board their points of view. Something I try and do with those sorts of educators when I'm working with them is thinking, you know, what's in it for them? Exactly. And so when you can work out what, what, where the wins will be, where the benefits will be, you know, that, that, that's a great way of sort of bringing them on board with you with that journey. Thank you so much for your um, insights there, Monica. And uh, I, I knew you'd be great. This is going fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, my next question for you. Um, is uh, from a, a, an early years teacher 
<coughs> and working with uh, very young students. But he's asked uh, if you've got any ideas about how to go about creating digital portfolios for particularly uh, quite young learners. Have you got any thoughts on that at all? So digital portfolios are wonderful, and there's just so much that you can do with different groups of students when it comes to having them collect their work, handpick their work, reflect on what it is that they've made, right? So many different things. And especially now where you might have students of all ages, including the four to eight-year-old students, creating things in lots of different digital spaces, having a system or a vision for what organization is going to look like is really important. So I really love um, tools like Seesaw uh, for that age level. If you mm -hmm. are working with students, even if you're using other tools, Seesaw might be the tool that you go to for digital portfolios because kids can snap picture of the, um, you know, the model they made out of glitter and glue and construction paper and then upload it to Seesaw record their voice talking about it and have that as an entry onto their portfolio. Um, you can have them do a digital product. Maybe they made something in Book Creator and then they have the link and they upload it to Seesaw. I say upload, but really just copy and pasting the link, right? And plugging it in and maybe even recording their voice. And what it does with that particular group of students, that age group, is it gives you a lot of flexibility within a portfolio. So you might decide that it's very open so students can see each other's work and leave voice recordings or voice comments. You might turn off that feature and say, we're just going to push this out um, and have it with your work going down the line one way. You can have the calendar organization feature so that you can tap on different dates and see the progress over the year. Or you might just carve out one day a month or one day a week for kids to give a quick update and depending on the structure of your digital portfolio. And one thing that's nice about Seesaw, right, depending on which kind of level of it that you have, all the things I just talked about, right, you could do completely for free. Um, you might set up a class blog so you can publish right from Seesaw for a larger, wider audience or any of the individual things kids add to their seesaw space. So for example, you might have students take a picture of a illustration that they made and record their voice telling the story of their picture. Mm -hmm. Well, in that case, you can share that recording with their picture as a direct link or QR code. And of course, there's a family component with seesaw. So that's one of my favorite places for having kids gather their work. But if you are going to take a little bit more, um, Kind of ownership in terms of organization, like maybe kids are doing something and you're taking a little bit more of the heavy lifting of organizing it. You could even have them in a spot like Microsoft PowerPoint and have a slide for everything that they've done each month. And mm -hmm. then perhaps have them add a voice button or voice recording or add a video to a slide. So there's a few different directions to go in, but I think Seesaw would give a lot of student agency and you could do something similar um, in Flipgrid depending on how you set up groups and topics. That's great. And I'm, I, love, I love that PowerPoint example there as well, because I mean, I know they've recently added voice functionality into Google Slides as well. So that would work mm -hmm. on the same front as well. Uh, you can drop audio files into Keynote as well. Uh, yeah. So the, the ideas are really um, uh, easily transferable uh, across whichever ecosystem uh, you, you choose to work with. Again, another great response. Thank you so much, Monica. 
Uh, my next question uh, comes uh, from John Neal. Uh, this is where that clubhouse uh, sort of thing came from before. He said, uh, do you have any tip, uh, tips or tips, edgy thoughts, on where you might see apps like Clubhouse and or TikTok as vehicles for delivering and enhancing learning experiences in the future? What are your thoughts? So with these two specific apps, I want to be careful to make sure I'm clear that these are apps for 18 and over, right? So not apps that we would necessarily invite students into, um, but we can use them as inspiration, right? So I see them as places for professional learning, for adults exactly. coming together and having those conversations. Mm -hmm. That being said, I think you can really look at them in both ways, right? So from a professional development standpoint, Clubhouse has really been wild to be a part of for the past two or three months now. I don't really put a lot of, um, I wouldn't say I put a lot of energy myself into follower counts, but I would I will give these numbers because I think it illustrates how fast things have grown, right? So I started using um, Clubhouse about two months ago. I have over 2,000 followers on this platform. And it's something where the growth has been exponential because the platform's growing exponentially. I started mm -hmm. a club um, last week. It's been maybe seven or eight days. Um, it started with zero, right? And now there's almost 600 um, members and followers. So Again, I don't think the numbers matter in the long run, but right now they illustrate just how quick the growth right is happening. And so Clubhouse has been wonderful. It reminds me so much, Mark, of a Twitter chat. And I actually set up over the weekend kind of in a, a Google Sheets or Excel, right, spreadsheet with a schedule for the Monday and Thursday rooms. And I immediately was like, this is just such a Twitter chat move for me, right, to say I need to know exactly who's going to be a guest and what our topic's going to be. And it looked just like that, right? So it's been wonderful to have the audio component within Clubhouse to hear voices, especially Especially now where there, there's so many folks like yourself that I get to see, you know, over the course of the year during travels like to ISTE um, or to FETC or, or other larger right, or smaller events. And so this has really bridged the gap there. You know, there are, of course, limitations with just the invite only nature of it. That's gotten a little bit easier. I know I've had folks reach out on Twitter and I can just kind of send them um, different types of, of invites depending on where my app is that week. Um, there's mm -hmm. obviously limitations from iOS versus Android, right? Because it's iOS only. And there's accessibility options that are significant. There's no live captioning. I've tried over the course of this past weekend to have a clubhouse room open and run the Google Slides captions that I love at the same time. And it picked it up really nicely, but that's not built into the app. Right. So yeah, yeah. I love it for this idea of community building. I've run rooms that are more like panels where I might ask people some questions and then invite people into Q&A and then more that's like an ed camp, more rapid fire. What do you think about this? What do you think? And it kind of goes mm -hmm. in different directions. So I like Clubhouse for professional learning. And I think that it's a good example of how you can be flexible in live discussions with students. Maybe you don't need to have video on all the time for folks that are feeling very strongly about that, right? Um, maybe you can use audio updates asynchronously too. So I'm excited about it from that standpoint. And, you know, TikTok has been a lot of fun the past year or so that I've been on it. I do, not every day, but a few times a week, I put up a new quick tip, um, usually 15 seconds 
seconds or so on TikTok, but I've also found that it's a great place to learn new things, right? Or gather an ed tech tip. And there's a lot of educators that are very active. And yeah, sometimes there's dance videos. I don't think there are no dance videos on mine. Sometimes I try and pick popular music, right? Or things that are a little fun. Um, but you might find a few educator uh, dance videos, but they're mostly really actionable, right? Information you can use right away. And mm. that vertical video, 15 to 60 second format is definitely replicable as a classroom project. You can have students make a 60 second video that retells a moment in history where two you know, people come together and talk about something very quickly or even a, a series of lab safety tips, right? That are each 60 seconds each. So I like it from both a consumption and a creation, right? I think there's a lot of things that those two tools um, or apps, Clubhouse and TikTok can be used for professional learning, but also inspiration for projects and activities you might do with students i think if you nail on the head there really with the duration of it we know from things like formative assessment that the, the children you know um, retrieval and, and quizzing and, and all this sort of stuff works really well when it's low stakes mm -hmm. uh, rather than high stakes and you know asking a, a learner to make a, a, a detailed video about x y or z you know the, the romans or whatever the, the the topic is can be quite high stakes Ask a student to create a 15 second, 30 second video even. That reduces the stakes massively, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And, and as, we come, as we become used to the platform as well, it, it's, it's not all polished. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not like watching the Avengers. You know, it's mm -hmm. shaky hands. It's, you know, just really rough and ready. But I think it, 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 what, what's really lovely is, is that it's the content that then really, really shines uh, and the things that people are sharing, the ideas and, and, and their words and things as well. So I think you absolutely massively hit the nail on the head there. Thank you so much, uh, Monica. Uh, I'm going to see if I got the right question right here. I think this is the last question here now. Uh, research shows that embedding oracy is a key part of the curriculum can really help with learner progress. Do you have any tip top tips, Edu, on tools that can help promote oracy in the classroom? And I'm positive that you've got plenty of these. We've mentioned some already, haven't we? Yeah. And just to um, to make sure, because I know for a U.S. audience, sometimes oracy is not the term that we use. You're talking more generally about speaking and listening opportunities for students. Yes, yes absolutely. Yes. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah. So we talked a bit about it, right? With getting kids to record their voice in Seesaw to talk about their learning products, getting them to record their voice in a tool like Flipgrid to give a quick update like um, you just shared. Right? It might be a quicker formative assessment piece. We know that speaking and listening opportunities can vary greatly. It doesn't have to be asking a student to recite a poem on stage in an auditorium in front of you know hundreds of their classmates. They might make a quick 15 second video that goes through the haiku that they wrote right, and upload it to a class portal. So for me, when I'm thinking about those types of skills, you know, I'm just most excited about what it we have in terms of options for kids and just increasing what it might look like for them. So all of those different types of work products, I think are, are right. <laughs> when we ask, you know, what's the right way to do something, it really might come down to giving kids some choice, giving them an opportunity to see some examples and decide how they want to share. So I really love the flexibility if we allow it, right? The flexibility that's there for kids to develop those different types of skills. Um, but I also think, and this kind of gets back to what you mentioned about TikTok before, when we give kids that opportunity for creation, 
to make something, right? It helps them become more discerning consumers and better evaluators, right? So if they are used to um, talking into, right, or speaking into that TikTok video recording, while the next time they scroll through and see a video someone else made, right, they might think twice about, is this real or could that happen? And so, you know, I love pairing some of this skill conversation within those, you know, media literacy and digital citizenship components as well. That's superb. Listen, thank you so much, uh, Monica, for taking the time to come and share. I, I could do 10 more, but I, I try and keep the episodes down to about mm-hmm. half an hour. So thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, before we uh, sort of wrap things up for the session, was there anything else that you'd like to share about uh, uh, the work you do or where people can find you? I know we've got your um, sort of short link uh, going across the bottom there. So you can find out more about Monica by going to bit.ly slash Monica bio. And I, I suspect that's case sensitive like it often is with uh, with bitly link so please do mind the case on there was there anything else you wanted to share at all though monica just a big thank you. I mean, this has been so wonderful to talk and, and chat with you and, and catch up with you and anyone who's listening. If you have questions about these resources, you know, at Class Tech Tips is where you can find me on all the social platforms or even something like Clubhouse and TikTok, which would maybe not have been on the list if we talked this time <laughs> last year. Um, but if you have a question, you can always reach out there. And then Class Tech Tips is where you can find all of the things, right? The resources. You can even listen to my blog. Um, I listen to my podcast straight from the blog brilliant stuff well listen thank you so much for taking the time to uh, have a chat with me today monica i really really appreciate it it's lovely to see you again too thank you so much and that's it for another episode uh, please do as i say remember to hit the subscribe button um, whether you're listening on youtube or listening via your favorite podcasting tool of choice and we look forward to hearing uh, from you in our next episode of tip top tips edu thanks very much